your mercy. Uh, they are new every morning. Uh, just a privilege to come together as the body of Christ and to worship you. And, and we start here with, with a lesson. We start here with a, a difficult teaching. Uh, we pray, Lord, that you will humble us during this time and help us to lean on you uh, and not on our understanding. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I want you th to think about the hardest course you ever took. All right, maybe it was calculus, biology, chemistry. Everyone passed that chemistry regions? I didn't. It was difficult. Well, today, it's going to be like one of those courses, one of those classes where you just can't wait till it's over. Um, however, this is going to be uh, a teaching that will bless you. And, and even though it might be difficult to chew, it is going to be a humbling experience that we all need. And so that's my prayer, that it will humble us to our knees, that we will praise the sovereign king as we discuss this difficult doctrine. And so this is going to be part one in our study of God's providence. Our focus today will be on that question. If God controls all things, how can our actions have real meaning? And so we'll look at a couple things. The definition of providence, and they're going to have three key elements, right? Preservation, concurrence, and government. We're going to spend most of our time on the second one there, on concurrence. And so what is the definition of God's providence? God is continually involved with all created things in such a way that, here's number one, keeps them existing and maintaining the properties with which he created them. Number two, corroborates with created things in every action directing their distinct properties to cause them to act as they do. So that's going to be concurrence. The first one uh, is preservation. And then number three, directs them to fulfill his purposes. And we'll see that in government. And so let's begin with our first one here, preservation. And what is the definition here of this teaching? God keeps all created things existing and maintaining the properties with which he created them. And so this is really important for us to chew on. And so we're going to look at some scripture. Uh, the main one that I want you to look at is go to Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3. Very important verse here that teaches how God preserves all things. Hebrews 1, 3 says, it tells us that Christ is upholding the universe by his word of power. And so when we're thinking about upholding, it does not simply mean to sustain, but it has this sense of active, purposeful control over what is being carried. And so we need to understand that Jesus is continually carrying all things in the universe, right? He's making it continue by the word of his power. Jesus is active, Right? And he's active in preserving all things. Second thing we can see in Colossians 1.17, Paul says of Christ, in him all things hold together. Right? Without Christ, everything will fall apart. Nehemiah 9.6, we see Ezra saying this, you preserve all of them. What is he talking about? He's referring to the heaven and the heaven of heavens with all their hosts, right? All the angels, the earth, and that all is in it. This key word that's going to keep coming up is the word all. God is preserving all of it. Everything you can think of, he, pre he preserves it. 
And then Job uh, 34, verse 14, one more verse about this teaching here. Elihu says of God, If he should take back his spirit to himself and gather to himself his breath, what would happen? All flesh would perish together and man would return to dust. Just think about that for a second. The reason why you have a heartbeat, the reason why you have life, is because God is preserving it right now. He could easily just take your life away. And so this is really important uh, to grasp. Now God is preserving all things he has made. He also causes them to maintain the properties which he created them. And so just two examples. Water, maybe you just take it for granted that, you know, water is continuing to act like water. Well, that's because God is preserving it. And then also grass. God is continually um, allowing the grass to grow, right? He acts. He is active. And so this is really important for us to get. Um, any questions here or comments on how God preserves all things? The main thing we're going to get into is the concurrence. So, all right. This is really important here. And we'll have like eight bullet points in this one. So concurrence. Definition again. God cooperates with created things in every action, directing their distinct properties to cause them to act as they do. All right, this is going to be a little deep. So, But the main verse, and you can turn there, Ephesians 1, verse 11. This is really important. So go to Ephesians 1, verse 11. Again, that keyword all we're going to see. Ephesians 1, verse 11. Paul says that God accomplishes all things. Not a couple things, not one or two uh, million, but all things according to the counsel of his will. And so there's no event in creation that falls outside of his providence. And so what we're going to do is consider some of these events. And like I said, uh, it's not going to be easy, but it's going to be good to go through and, and really wrestle with these. So the first one here that I want you to understand that God is in complete control. There's nothing outside of his providence is in this inanimate creation, right? And so number one, God causes natural occurrences to happen like fire, hail, snow, frost, stormy wind. And so a lot of people say, well, it's just, you know, uh, Mother Earth, right? It's just natural that these things happen. No, no, no. God is the primary cause of it all. So when you see the rain, why did it rain? God brought the rain. When you see the hail, the snow, we see in, uh, obviously in um, Exodus during uh, Pharaoh's judgment, we see all those plagues. God obviously is directly causing that, but it wasn't just at that time. It's even today. Anyone got a little rain or snow last week? God was active in that. The second thing I want you to see here, um, or, or the second verse I want you to consider, is Job 37, 6 to 13. For the snow, he says, fall on the earth, and to the shower and rain be strong. What about Psalm 135, verses 6 to 7? Whatever the Lord pleases, he does in heaven and on earth, in the seas and all the deeps. He it is who makes the clouds rise at the end of the earth, who makes lightning for the rain and brings forth the wind from its storehouses. So anytime you see that lightning come about, God is there. He's active. And then we mentioned this already, but he causes the grass to grow for the cattle and the plants for man to cultivate so that they may bring forth food from the earth. Another one that's interesting, God directs all the stars in the heavens, right? I was at my uh, friend's house the other day and 
I saw the little dipper, the big dipper, and it was just like, whoa. And I told my other friend, look at that. God is the one who put those stars there in place. He's continually also directing the coming of the morning. When you see the sunrise, right? Jesus affirmed this. He says, God makes his sun rise on the evil and the good, and he sends rain on the just and the unjust. And so he's active, he's sending, he's rising, all these different things. He is in complete control of it all. Another thing, maybe you have a pet, but we see animals. God is the one who feeds the animals on the field. He provides. Jesus, again, mentions this. He says, look at the birds of the air. Your heavenly Father feeds them. And he said that not one sparrow will fall to the ground without your Father's will. And so you think about all the birds that are flying around. Or, you know, we have a little um, feeder for the birds, and they come in and come out. And yes, uh, in a sense, we were feeding the birds because we provided you know, some food there. But we're the secondary cause. The primary cause is God providing the food there. And we'll get into that a little bit more. Like I said, it gets a little deeper. Seemingly random or chance events, right? This is a good one. A lot of people say, well, ah, that was just by chance. You know, you got lucky there. Well, what does the Bible say about the casting of lots? Uh, it says in Proverbs 16.33, the lot is cast into the lap, but what's the decision holy from? The Lord. And so when you roll a dice, when you're flipping a coin, God is in control. All right. Now, like I said, this is where it gets a little more challenging. So we understand that events are fully caused by God, and yes, fully caused by creatures as well. And so think about it this way. God directs and works through the distinctive properties of each created thing so that these things themselves bring about the results we see, right? Everything that happens, it's really happening, right? We're not in this uh, dream or an illusion. Um, but in one sense, events are fully caused, 100% caused by God, and yet fully 100% caused by the creatures as well. And so, remember, there's two causes here. The divine cause of each event, it works as this invisible, behind-the-scenes directing cause, and therefore, it is often called the primary cause that plans and initiates everything that happens. But the created thing brings about actions in ways that is consistent with their own properties. And so these creaturely factors and properties can therefore be called the secondary cause of everything that happens. But these are the ones that we see, that we observe, right? When someone throws a ball, you know, baseball is coming up, so I'm thinking about that a little bit. When someone throws a ball, we see that they are, uh, we observe the ball being thrown, and we're like, okay, that guy throws really fast. He's the one who's throwing the ball. But ultimately, God is still the primary cause, and he causes all things to take place. What about the affair of nations? This is really important, especially nowadays we hear all about these wars, right? And the last days, of course, rumors of wars, so no surprise here. The affairs of nations, Job 12, 23. God makes nations great and destroys them. He enlarges nations and he leads them away. And so think of what's happening in Israel. Think about Russia. Think about China, America. God is in control of all things everywhere. Psalm twenty-two, twenty-eight: 28. Dominion belongs to the Lord. He rules over the nations. Acts 17, 26. He has determined the time of existence and the place of every nation on the earth. For Paul says, he made from one every nation a man to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods 
and the boundaries of their habitation. Okay, so he is in, like I said, control of all these things, but there's the primary cause and there's the secondary cause. Now, this is where it gets deeper. All aspects of our lives, believe it or not, all aspects of our lives, God is working. Matthew 6, 11, we depend on God for food every day. We also know that God plans our days before we are born, right? What does Job say? That man's days are determined and the number of his months is with you and you have appointed his bounds that he cannot pass. And so you might think, well, I have many years left. You know, I can't wait for retirement. I have many years left. But you don't know that, right? God has already set your day where you're going to die. And, and so these are really humbling truths to think about, right? Sometimes uh, we think about the verses that uh, better to be in the house of mourning than to be in a house of, of feasting. And, and so today, that's what we're kind of doing, thinking more of, of really uh, life and death. Jeremiah 10, 23, uh, in Proverbs, we also read, The individual steps we take each day are directed by the Lord. Um, we also see that a man's mind plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. Then we continue in Psalm 75. And, and all these verses you could um, jot down and read them on your time uh, throughout this week, because I really think it will help you just to think of God's providence. We know that success and failure come from God. Maybe you have a business uh, and you're getting upset because uh, it's not doing so well. Uh, but remember, uh, God's in control. Uh, his will is being done. Or maybe it's flourishing. God's in control. His will is being done. Uh, think of Mary who says, He has put down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of low degree. Uh, she understood this. She understood that God can humble anyone and can exalt anyone. Uh, he doesn't have to humble, uh, you know, the smartest, richest person. He can humble uh, the nobodies from Nazareth. And then, of course, what else has God in control of? Our children. The Lord gives children, and they are heritage from the Lord. We'll read a little bit about that. Or we read that last Sunday on Psalm 127. And so, just think about that. If you have a child, maybe you think, well, you see, I'm so fertile or whatever. But no, God is in control of you having children. And so think of that as well. Continuing, uh, like I said, lots of verses here. 1 Corinthians 4, 7. All our talents and our abilities are from the Lord. What is it that we have not received that it's not from the Lord? So if you're really fast or you're really intelligent, that's God who gave you that brain, God gave you that skill. Again, all of these things point to God being in control. Um, and I'll give you a, another set of verses here. God's influence... Uh, he has influence over rulers in their decisions, right? We see that in Proverbs. For the king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he will. Continuing in uh, Psalm 33. The Lord looks down on all the inhabitants on the earth, and he fashions the hearts of them all, right? And then God, he, he guides the desires and inclinations of believers, working in us both to will and to work for his good pleasure. And so it's very humbling to think, if there's anything good in me, or anything that I do that is good, it's because of God, right? He's the one who's given us that desire. He's changed us with how we interact with others and how we want to love on others. And so instead of being prideful about the good works we do, uh, you're going to start thanking God for giving you the strength and the desire to actually do those things. 
And so ultimately our words, our steps, our movement, our hearts, and our abilities are all from the Lord. They are all from the Lord. Now, like I said, what does that mean? Uh, this, is, this is tough if he's in control of all things, right? We should affirm that God causes all things to happen, but he does it in such a way that he somehow upholds our ability to make willing, responsible choices, choices that have real and eternal results and that we're ultimately going to be held accountable. And so how does God do that with his providential care uh, and control uh, with our willing and, uh, you know, very important choices? Scripture does not explain that to us. Now, a lot of people are going to be like, wait, what do you mean? Scripture has to explain everything. Well, uh, if you read the book of Job, you'll, you'll get an idea there when Job's going through suffering and God doesn't answer him, um, but reminds him of who he is. And so that's kind of what we're doing today as well. Um, and so rather than denying one of these teachings, right, uh, that God is completely in control and that man makes real choices, uh, we need to be faithful to Scripture and we need to accept both. Um, so we live with that tension. I want you to see this. Go to Matthew 11. Matthew 11, verses 27 to 28. Just live with this tension here. And so in Matthew eleven twenty-seven, 27, we read a verse here that says, Jesus talking, All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, nor does anyone know the Father except the Son, and here's the key, anyone to whom the Son wills to reveal him. All right, so how do we know the Father? How do we know God? How do we have a relationship with God? Well, ultimately, it's by the will of the Son to reveal him to us. And we stop there. There we see God is completely in control. But what does Jesus say right after that? Very important. Verse 28. Come to me all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He's telling all of us. He's telling everyone who's present there. Come to me. I will give you rest. And so we, we reason, okay, all are called to repentance. Yet only God's elect will repent. However, there is no one without excuse, according to Romans. And so some are going to say, well, that's not fair. Well, we'll get into that a little bit later in Romans 9. But I want us to do a quick discussion question, because I want to hear from you. Um, really important. Is God in control of all things or over some things? What about evil? What would it mean if God wasn't in control of all the evil in the world? Someone, talk to me. What do you guys think? Is he in control of all things, even the evil that's, that's happening in the world? Don't be shy. Why? Why? Okay. So we're going to get into free will in a second. But so the Yeah. So I, the the first question though, just basic. Is God control of all things or some things? All things. Okay. Even evil. Okay. 
Now, what would it mean if God wasn't in control of all the evil in the world? What would that, what would that put us in? What position if he really wasn't in control of everything that happened? He wouldn't be sovereign, uh-huh. Anyone else? Yes. Uh, evil may win. We have no hope. God isn't strong. Uh-huh. Yeah, we're going to get into it with free will. And, and so next week, like I said, this is a part two. So uh, part two message. So providential uh, or providence is a very deep topic. It needs two weeks of discussion. Next week, we're going to get into the views of Calvinism and Arminianism. And so kind of uh, some of the things um, Ephraim brought up, especially free will, is going to be one of the main views that the Arminians are going to hold to and, and basically say it's called libertarian free will. Um, and we'll get into it a little bit later. Uh, where there's this absolute freedom of the creature, where really God is bending to their will, not the other way around. Um, but we'll get into that, but it's a valid question. Um, but I just wanted to make sure we, we start with this, because we're going to talk about evil today. Um, you know, I, I remember in seminary taking a course uh, on the problem of evil, and it's a really important one, especially for uh, believers who are ministering to others, and they have these questions, like, really? God is in control of all the evil that's going on? Then he's not a good God. Then he's either just not powerful enough to do anything about it. We'll get into that, all right? But any other comments or questions here? Any follow-up? Yeah. Deceitful, yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, it gets into that a little bit. We're going to see that it's really humans that are uh, responsible for evil, not God. Um, so we'll get into it. So let's talk about it. What about evil, right? I'm going to argue that God is in control of it all. And so we're going to look at some stories, some key um, Bible stories that really would help us with this teaching. And so what about evil? If God does indeed cause through his providential activity, everything that comes about in the world, then the question arises, what is the relationship between God and evil in the world? Does God actually cause the evil actions that people do? If he does, then is not God responsible for their sin? And so we're going to look at these following examples here to observe how God did indeed cause evil events to come about and evil deeds to be done, but we must remember that these passages do not teach that God directly does evil. So you see the difference there? Though God is the primary cause, he doesn't do the evil, but rather he brings about the evil deeds um, through the willing actions of moral creatures. And so scripture never blames God for evil or shows God that he's somehow, you know, full of pleasure with the evil that's going around. Uh, and, and scripture also doesn't excuse human beings for their wrongdoing that they do. And so we must never think that we are not responsible for the evil that we do or blame God for it. And so let's consider some stories in the Bible. The first one, and I think it's the number one really to think about, is the story of Job, right? When we think about the story of Job, though the Lord gave Satan permission to bring harm to Job's possessions and children through this harm, uh, through the evil actions of the Chaldeans, right? These were people that hated Job. These were people... Um, that wanted to do harm. Yet, what does Job do? He looks beyond the secondary causes, right, of, of Satan at work, of the Chaldeans at work. And what does he say with the eyes of faith? This is, this is crucial. 
he says that this is all from the hand of the Lord. Do you remember what he says? What does he say, guys? The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And so you need to wrestle with that a little bit. Yes, there were actions done by evil men, yet God ultimately, primary cause, has caused this to happen. And ultimately, we'll get the answer later, but um, we know some of it already for his glory and for our good. What about the story of Joseph? The story of Joseph, we see that Joseph's brothers, they were wrongly jealous of him. They hated him. They wanted to kill him. Uh, and they did wrong when they threw him into that pit. They sold him into slavery in Egypt. Yet, what does Joseph say later of his brothers? God sent me before you to preserve life, and you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. And so what do we see there? Yeah, these people were wrongful in their actions, yet God ultimately was doing something, again, behind the scenes. You have something, Diane? Exactly, yeah, very good point. And so what do we see here? A combination of evil deeds brought about by sinful man who are rightly held accountable for their sin and the overriding providential control of God, whereby God's own purposes were accomplished. Who started that conversation with, with Satan? Yeah, he started it. Yeah. So you can, you can uh, like I said, there's a, there's a lot of different ways to go about it. You could say God's allowing it, but ultimately, um, the word providence, there's, the focus is God is causing all things, or decreed. He decreed all things to take place. And like I said, there's so many verses, but even our salvation... Um, uh, if you read throughout scriptures, right, he, he's written in, uh, in the name of the book of life. And so um, even before we came to existence and were born, God already ordained, uh, you know, who would be saved and who wouldn't. And so there's a lot, like I said, that we can get into in this discussion. But just for sake of time, we're kind of limiting to certain things. But I understand your, your, your question. So the definition of control, I, you know, just kind of to jump the gun before we go to next week, I guess we'll, we'll do a preview. Um, God has given us uh, this limited free will, right? It is um, real. Uh, we are making choices, yet it's not that we can um, override God's will. And so ultimately, God is in control of all things, yet we really do have um, a limited free will uh, that God has given us in the sense of where it works hand in hand with God's um, uh, providence. And so like I said, it, like, it's not a thing that we can just explain and be like, do you get it now? It's something that we're going to wrestle with for eternity. We don't understand it fully. Um, but but that's, that's a good um, thing to discuss. You have something? Yeah. As a believer, we have to understand that we are, we 
We're creatures, yeah. Yes. Why don't we end how Yeah, and, and ultimately, God knows all things, right? God knows the ending. Yeah, and, and if he didn't know all things, right, he wouldn't be in complete control in the sense because now he doesn't know what's going to happen next. <laughs> and so who knows, right? Uh, but because God is in complete control, we can trust in him. But let me give you a couple more um, stories here. So the next one, and I think this one, again, just teaches God's providence. God hardened the heart of Pharaoh and the Egyptians and the Canaanites. And this is something even I learned this week that I, I really humbled me. I always would use that argument, well, we know Pharaoh hardened his heart too, right? Um, so God was just doing that which Pharaoh wanted. If you read in Exodus 4.17, what does God say? That he's going to harden his heart. He already decreed it that it was going to take place. And so God is in control of everything that happens, even the hardening of, Her uh, of Pharaoh. And, and what happens? He even hardens the Egyptians before they go into uh, the Red Sea and then get squashed, right? He, he, he had a, a purpose with it, obviously judgment. And so uh, it sounds a little scary, but really important to think that God uh, is even in control of that. What else? Uh, why don't we go to Isaiah 45? I think this will help us. Isaiah 45. Um, as you're turning there, like I said, God has a purpose, even with the judgment of these sinners. Um, and Paul, he reflects on that. And he says, I have raised, talking about Pharaoh, I have raised you up for the very purpose of showing my power in you so that my name may be proclaimed in all the earth. You're saying, wow, why did God do that with Pharaoh? He is going to proclaim his name in all the earth. And then in Romans 9, Paul says, so then he has mercy upon whomever he wills and hardens the hearts of whomever he wills. And so, yes, God can do that. And so now that you're at Isaiah 45, 7, you've got to wrestle with this verse. Through the prophet Isaiah, God says, I form the light and create what? Darkness. I make peace and create calamity or evil. We see here that God is the one doing, uh, not doing, but causing all things. And then Lamentations 3.33, is not from the mouth of the Most High that good and evil come? What does Job say? Must we accept only good from God and not adversity? And so we need to wrestle with this. We need to really think about all the things that happen in Scripture, that God is sovereign. He is providentially working. I'll give you a couple more stories, and of course... The last one, the best one for last. First one is the story of Jonah. Now, this is interesting. Scripture tells us that the men on board of the ship were the ones who threw Jonah aboard, right? It states, so he took up, they took up Jonah, and they threw him into the sea, right? So here he is, getting thrown, and everyone's going to say, well, they threw him out, right? What does Jonah say five verses later? He says, God, you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas. How, how is that? What is going on there? You see, is Jonah mistaken? No. He understands that God is the primary cause. These men were the secondary cause. 
And so God was bringing about his plan through the willing choices of real human beings who were morally accountable for their actions. And yes, we don't understand it, but God caused them to make a willing choice to do what they did. And that just should bring you to your knees and say, God, is amazing how he has control of all things, yet humans are making willing choices. Now, the last one, of course, the most important one, the story of Jesus. Think about this, and maybe I'll say it a couple times here just so it sinks in. The most evil deed of all history, the crucifixion of the sinless, spotless Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, was ordained by God. Did you get that? The most evil deed of all history. Why? Because he was innocent, perfect, sinless, never did anything wrong. Many of us are saying, this is unjust. But it was ordained by God. Now, of course, we know that God is not responsible for evil. And so how do we understand this? Well, Acts 4.27 says, Truly in the city they were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. Do we see that? This was predestined. This was a plan. We love John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son. He had a plan. He had a purpose that he would die for our sins, if you read in Matthew. For he will save his people from their sins. He had to die. It was planned by God. Yet, we see people hated Jesus. Right? The religious Pharisees were envious. Jesus is taking away all our popularity, all our money, that these people are supposed to be having allegiance to us. Even Judas, right? Betraying Jesus for 30 shekels of silver. And so all the actions of all the participants in the crucifixion of Jesus had been predestined by God. Yet the apostles clearly attached no moral blame to God for the actions resulted from willing choices of simple man. Peter makes it clear here. He says that Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. And so the blame is never on God. The blame was on the people who killed Jesus, right? And so we see there the primary cause, God's planning, initiating, yet the secondary cause, Man hates Jesus and wants nothing to do with him, and yes, kills him. And so God brought about his plan through willing choices. Yes, any questions? Yes. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, so like I said, next week we'll get a little more into that. Um, so again, there's Calvinism and Arminianism. Um, Arminianism really banks on like the foreknowledge um, argument. Um, but no, uh, the, the Calvinistic idea would be more that God has decreed all things to happen. So if you look at all the prophecies in the Old Testament, that Jesus would be uh, you know, crucified and, and rise again and all these things, we see um, the suffering in Christ, uh, yes, prophesies that it would take place. And if you read throughout the Gospels, 
this happened to fulfill what was, you know, uh, prophesied. And so, uh, just to answer your question, God has decreed everything, um, even the details, the small details of what happened at the crucifixion. But like I said, next week we'll get a little more into it. So we don't want to miss next week, all right? Um, that That's a... It, like I said, it, it's a big debate in Christianity. We're still brothers. We love our Armenian brothers. Um, and, and maybe you're not even a full Calvinist, and that's okay. You know, um, It is something that we can't fully understand. And so that's why we talk about it. And, and there's a way to talk about it, too. So we need to be humble. But good. And so ultimately, uh, yes, Jesus, uh, this was God's plan, ultimately, that uh, his son would be crucified and rise again for the justification of our sins and forgiveness of sins. And so it is a beautiful story, yet at the same time, remember, the most evil deed in all human history. Uh, and it came about for the good of our salvation. All right, uh, running out of time here, so I'll, I'll go brief here. Uh, so what do we do when we're analyzing these verses of God and evil? Uh, number one, God uses all things to fulfill his purposes and even uses evil for his glory and for our good. We read that in, in Romans 8.28, that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God. We see that also God is glorified even in the punishment of evil. Yet God does never, he never does evil uh, and is never to be blamed for evil. Remember in James chapter 1, it says, let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God and God cannot be tempted by evil and he himself tempts no one but each person is tempted when he's lured and enticed by his own desires. And so God doesn't do evil, but he does ordain that evil will come about through the willing choices of his creatures. Uh, thirdly, God rightly blames and judges moral creatures for the evil they do. Uh, the blame for the evil is always on the responsible creature who does it, and the creature who does evil is worthy of punishment. And so God is righteous and just to punish us for all our sins. Now, someone may argue, well, that isn't fair. Again, what does Paul say in Romans with this objection? You will say to me then, why does he still find fault? For who can resist his will? But who are you, a man, to answer back to God? Will what is molded say to the molder, why have you made me thus? And so we must remember that when we do evil, we willingly chose to do it, and then we realize that we are rightly to be blamed for it. And so we understand that evil is real. It's not an illusion. We should never do evil, for it always harms us and others. And so don't think for a minute, well, God can use sin sinlessly, right? He is using evil for a good purpose. So let me try it. No, God may use evil to bring about good purposes, but he does not allow us to do it. And so this should humble us where we confess that we do not understand how it is that God can ordain that we carry out evil deeds, yet hold us accountable for them, and not be, not be blamed himself. And so again, guys, this is a great, great mystery. All right, and, and we're jumping into are we free uh, and do we have a free will? And like I said, we're kind of uh, brief on time here. So very important, Ephraim brought this up about free will. Well, it depends what you mean by free will. All right, and so this is how I'm uh, going to define it here. Uh, we make willing choices and choices that have real effects. And so I think of it this way. Well, someone might say, well, why pray if God already knows what we're going to pray? Well, we need to obey the commands in Scripture that tell us 
to pray. And remember, God uses prayer. Remember Elijah? He prayed and God brought the rain. And so it's not that, okay, um, I'm a robot. I really don't have a willing choice. No, we do, right? Remember, uh, with the test of, of Abraham, to offer up his one and only son, Isaac. And what do we see there? That, um, you know, he, he, his belief uh, was accredited to him as, as righteous. And so he had real faith. He truly trusted in the Lord. Um, yet at the same time, uh, we're not going to jump and say we have this absolute free will or this absolute freedom. And so what would I say with uh, absolute freedom? Uh, I would say that people who argue that uh, mean that it's free in the sense of being outside of God's control. And so we're going to discuss that next week more. But for now, remember, if you hold to that view of free will, you're really saying God is not in complete control. Right? There are some surprises. And, and you know, sadly, I, I was talking to a, a friend, a brother of mine, who, um, who started falling into this. And uh, basically, uh, they were saying that um, God isn't in complete control. Uh, that there are times in Scripture that he doesn't know what's going to happen. You know, because uh, we see those Scriptures in, in Moses having to intercede uh, for the people. And, and you see there, he, he could have, but if it wasn't for Moses... And so we'll get into that next week. But yes. Real quick. Okay. Sure. Is there a difference between God knowing what's going to happen and God knowing? I think. Uh, like I said, I think next week we'll get more into that with Arminianism. But I here's what some people would say with election. God foreknew what was going to happen. So he kind of went to the future in his foreknowledge and saw who was going to choose him and then ordained and chose them. That, that wouldn't be anywhere in Scripture. The other view is, no, God decreed all things, and they are going to take place as he decreed it, yet he's also all-knowing, so he knows all things. Uh, but like I said, next week we'll get more into that with the difference between Calvinism and Arminianism. Uh, but very good questions. I like that you guys are getting ready for next week. Um, <laughs> All right, so lastly, government. So remember, we're looking at the three points here of providence. Um, we saw God's concurrence, God's preservation, now government. Definition is God has a purpose in all that he does in our world. He providentially governs or directs all things in order that they accomplish his purposes. So we see this in scripture in Psalm 103. Uh, his kingdom rules over all. Again, that keyword all there. 1 Corinthians 15. God has put all things in subject under his feet. Talking about Christ. Philippians 2. At the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confesses that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God, our Father. And so there's so many people. we got to be inclusive, right? Uh, all the religions got to get along. Well, what does Jesus say? What does God say in scripture uh, through Paul here? He's saying, guess what? At the end of the day... Every knee here will bow to the name of Jesus, okay? And so um, we need to remember this. God is in control of all things, even what's going to happen at the end, where everyone will bow. Now, that doesn't mean everyone's going to be in heaven, um, but it does mean they will bow, okay? All right, so we're coming to a close here. In summary, and just some key things I want you to remember, I'll, I'll give you 
maybe four or five. Number one, God causes, again, all things to happen. And I'll be honest with you, I, it was a lot. It was a lot to think about this week about that, that he causes all things to happen. Uh, yet, it was sweet to think about this truth because uh, it gives you peace. But really, just sit down and think about that. God causes all things to happen. Number two, we make real choices. We really do make real choices. Number three, God never does evil. Number four, we do evil. And number five, God is just and does all things for his glory and our good. Okay? And so think about this this week. Do we trust in the sovereign king? Do we trust in him?